We live in uh, chaotic times, we live in crazy times, and we also live in fearful times. We live in days uh, that are uncertain at best and dangerous at worst. Uh, Over the last several weeks, most of us have been glued to the happenings in Paris and the Middle East, and we have listened to debates about uh, uh, what America should do and how we should respond, Um, and we've watched and heard and read and maybe even have said some fearful things. And I understand. I understand and I am also thankful that I live in a nation that has the greatest military, military might in the known world and in the history of the world. I'm thankful for our men and women of the armed forces that stand between me and danger, that stand between us and the loss of our freedoms. I'm thankful for our men and women who go into harm's way to protect and defend. And I am thankful for them. But even though we live in a nation with the greatest military might and the greatest military prowess in the known world, with the greatest military men and women and technology and all the things that that can bring us, we still have fear. As good and as powerful and as mighty as our military is, it's obviously not enough to make us feel secure. If you doubt this, just look at some of the comments people make uh, on social media. There is a tremendous level of fear. Fear over the unknown, fear over dangerous people, places, and things. And that's not really uh, an indictment against our military. It's really just the way things are throughout time and in the history of our nation and in the history of the world. We have experienced fearful things for which a military cannot provide the complete answer. We're thankful for our military, and we rejoice, and we, this is a season of thanksgiving, and we should thank God for our military men and women and all the prices that they pay and their families, and, and, and I'm thankful for them, but as good as they are and as strong as they are and as committed as they are, we still need something more to help us deal with fear. Romans 8 is that kind of book. It's, it's that kind of chapter. It's, it's a chapter that Paul wrote to believers, followers of Jesus Christ, who knew that God was living, who knew that God was powerful, that God was the answer to their fear problem, and yet they were still wrapped in the tentacles, the icy grip of fear, and, and, and not the shadow of fear like we deal with. See, in America, certainly we have a terror strike at different places, and that's real enough, but but really, we, compared to other nations in the world, we deal with the shadow of fear. Other nations in the world, if you were to go to the Middle East, bombings are a daily diet. It's, it's not an occasion, it's an every day. You don't know what's going to happen uh, when you walk down the streets of West Africa. You don't know what's going to happen when you're, when you're uh, uh, claiming to be a follower of Jesus in a land in Southeast Asia. There are many places that we don't know about, or maybe we haven't read about, or maybe we just don't think much about, who are dealing not with the shadow of suffering, but with the severity of suffering. 
And those are the people to whom Paul was writing in Romans chapter 8. He wasn't writing to a group of people who were uh, merely threatened by sorrow. He was writing to people who were daily eating sorrow for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Hey, he, he was writing to people who experienced the loss of a job or the loss of family and perhaps even the loss of life because they were followers of Jesus Christ. So when Paul writes to them and he's encouraging them and he's, he's, he's offering hope to them, he's not talking about a, a, a national military might or a geopolitical force. He's talking about the power of God alive in them. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, Paul says very clearly to them back then and to us today, because God is for us, we can live victoriously. Because God is for us, we can live courageously, boldly, not fearfully or timidly. Because God is for us, we can live victoriously. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, here's how Paul begins. He says, Oh, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who then can stand against us. Do you believe, as a follower of Jesus, do you believe that God is alive and well? Would you say that God is not dead? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he's good all the time? Do you believe that all the time God is good? Somebody help me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, do you believe that God is great? That he is all-powerful? That he is all-knowing? That he is mighty beyond anything this world has ever seen? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe this about God? Yes? Then why are we acting as if God is dead, absent, and doesn't care? When we live in in, in absolute, abject fear every day, we are putting a greater weight on the things that are of lesser power. And we're saying these things of lesser power are bigger than God. We all have our boogeymen. We all have our big bad wolf. And we face them and we're afraid of them. But I just wonder why it is that we as followers give ourselves permission to tremble and cower in fear in the face of these boogeymen when we say from the bottom of our heart that God is not dead, that he is alive, that he is all-powerful, that he is great, that he is good all the time he is good, and God is good all the time. And we say all these things, and yet when we face our boogeymen, we tremble in fear as if God is dead. See, Paul says very clearly, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who then can stand against us? Who? What our problem is, and what my problem, can I just, my problem, what my problem is, I've got my, my scary boogeyman, and man, I think they are the most powerful super agent in the world. And I think of God, and well, that's just God. 
We put so much emphasis and so much weight and so much power in the hands of our boogeymen. Exactly. (laughs) See, I knew instinctively, I knew that was coming. I did. I could feel it. I could feel the trace of it. It was just, it was getting ready to happen. We put so much emphasis on our big bad wolf. And we put so little emphasis on God because we, we act as if God, oh, he's alive and well, but he's just not that interested. He's just not that into me. He's just not that into my everyday life. And friends, that's what Paul's attacking here. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, for us who then shall stand against us? For he who did, verse 30, for he who did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up, gave himself, delivered him up for us all, will, how will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, God is for us and he's going to take care of us. Now just stop and chew on that for a little bit. If God is for us and we believe he is, I mean, the the proof that God is for us is the gospel that God sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sin. And by faith, you trusted Jesus to rescue you from the guilt and the stain and the condemnation and the damnation of your sin. And you embraced Jesus by faith and he forgave your sin and he made you alive together with himself. And he gave you a new beginning and you became a new creation. Old things passed away. All things became new. You saw your future, your destiny city not in the dreary dregs of your own moral causes but you saw your future your destiny in the bright light of heaven's glory in the presence of a living God and that's what Jesus did for you and then after you got over all that you started living your life like you lived it before you met Jesus Start acting like, well, you know, Jesus saved me. Yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die, but that doesn't really matter for my right now. And what Paul says is, hey, listen, don't you get it? If God is going to do this big thing and send Jesus to die for your sin, don't you know he's going to continue to take ownership for your everyday life, that he is going to take care of you. He didn't spare his own son. But he gave his son for all who are followers of Christ. And if he did that big thing, don't you know, he's going to watch out for you right here, right now, emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, vocationally. God has taken ownership for you. He's committed himself to you. He's invaded your everyday space. If God is for us, who then can stand against us? And God is most definitely for us. God is for us and he's committed to take care of us. It's like me saying to one of my girls, you know, well, you know, your mama and I, we, we, we did all the stuff and we took care of you while you were in the womb, but now you're born and go take care of yourself. Newborn baby, wailing and crying and everything. By the way, can I tell you, I just love the sound of newborn babies in this room while I speak. Nothing better than that. Anyway, just giving everybody a break there. I I love it. 
But, but what, 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 kind of, what kind of father would I be if I said to Emily Catherine, my firstborn? She was born October 20th, 1993, I think. <laughs> 1993, I think that's right. Born in 1993, October 20th, 1993. And what would, I, what would happen if on October 21st, 1993, I, I, just, I just said, well, you know, Emily Catherine, sweetheart, I know you don't understand me. I know you can't hear me. And and you're not really that, you got some of that, what's that yellow stuff that you get? You, you're a little jaundice, you need some sunshine and all that kind of stuff. But, and you, you got a little bit of hair on your head. But, and and I, know, I know you can't eat unless somebody feeds you, but that's really not my business. I, I gave you life. And so I'm going to leave you with this life. You just take care of yourself. I mean, what kind of dad is that? Is that a good father? Goodness gracious. I mean, that's the kind of father that gets thrown in jail or should. Right? Well, I, I wonder why it is that we treat God like he's that kind of father. And he saves us, and then he, we pretend and act like, well, he doesn't really care about what's going on in my everyday life. Oh, no, he gave his son so that you can live. If he gave his son so that you can live, will he not also with Jesus freely give you all good things? Huh? Help me, somebody. Help me understand. Why is it that you believe that God's not going to take care of you? And if we believe that God is God and we believe that what the Bible says right here is true and that God will take care of me, then why am I so afraid? Why am I living in fear? Because if God's going to take care of me, doesn't that mean that, I mean, you know, you had that game when I was at recess and in and, and fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you had that game, my dad can beat up your dad, you know? <laughs> Can, can I tell you, when God is our father, our dad can beat up anybody else's dad. There's, there's no one that can beat God. And yet we act as if he's some impotent little weak-willed mamby-pamby in the face of what, ISIS? Seriously? Now, again, I understand the fear. I'm just saying as followers of Jesus, just because there's evil in the world doesn't mean that we have reason to tremble in fear at the evil that is here. Paul goes on. He says, all right, so it, 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 here, here's the thing. We know, we know that God is for us. And since God is for us, he's going to take care of us. But it, there's a long distance between sometimes between my understanding that God is for me and God is all powerful and he's almighty. I mean, I still wake up in the morning, especially Monday mornings. And sometimes, man, I tremble in fear just like anybody else, right? There are things that are, that are getting ready to happen in my world. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to navigate it. The things, decisions I have to make as a, as a father that I don't know how I'm going to make those decisions. And choices I have to make in my work, at my job, and, and I don't know how I'm going to make those choices. I wake up and I tremble at my boogeyman, the big bad wolf that's around the corner of me. And, and so I get the fear factor. I really do. I mean, I pause and I wonder, 
What kind of world are my children going to grow up in? What kind of world are my grandchildren going to grow up in? I, I get concerned. I get a little fearful. But in the minute that I'm fearful, it's in that moment that I need to respond not to the fear, but I need to respond by focusing on Jesus in those fear-filled days. You see, the key for me, for you as a follower of Jesus, is not just to give in to the swamping fear that wants to capsize us emotionally and spiritually, but rather we must overwhelm that emotion toward fear by focusing on Jesus, his work, his glorious presence, his power in our lives. So here's what Paul says. He says, so who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna condemn you? It's God who justifies. Uh, who's going to bring a charge against, the God, against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, who is also risen, who ascended to the right hand of God, and is even now making intercession for you. So what Paul is saying is, hey, instead of giving over to the fear, attack the fear with a focused faith in Jesus who died on the cross to make you right with God. You see, here's the thing. So often, you know what awakens fear in my life many times, and this is a proverb as well. What awakens fear in my life is when I have fresh sin in my heart. I have found as followers of Christ, the the most fearful followers of Christ are the ones who have fresh sin that is condemning them. Y'all know about fresh sin, don't you? Some of y'all had it for breakfast this morning. Some of you are having it for brunch even now. Fresh sin. It's a sin in your mind, in your body, in your life. It's a sin where you have somehow glossed over it. Perhaps you've acted like it doesn't exist. But friends, make no mistake, when you have fresh sin in your life, you cower in fear because you don't feel the, 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 the power of God in your life. But here's the good news. In the face of your fresh sin and my fresh sin, God says we are forever forgiven. And God's forever forgiveness overwhelms every fresh sin I I have. Who is it that can condemn? Who can bring a charge against those who are followers of Christ? No one. Why? Because it's God who makes us right <clears throat> through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know why you can sit here today and know that you are right in the sight of God? It's not because you're a good Baptist sitting in a good Baptist seat uh, in a good Baptist building on a rainy Baptist day. The reason you can know you're right with God is because Jesus died on a cross for your sin and he covered the guilt and the stain and the shame of your sin with his shed blood and you by faith repented your sin, placed your faith and trust in Jesus and he overwhelmed your sin with his forgiving love. You were rescued, you were made new, you are a new creature in Christ. All things have passed away, all things have become new and God looks at you and he places his anvil upon the court of heaven and he says eric thomas he is right in my sight and nothing nobody can do about that today we need to understand that yes i belong to jesus and no fresh sin can interrupt that belonging to god I'm made right in the sight of God, but, but that, that being made right in the sight of God needs to have consequences in my everyday life. Who is it that, that can condemn us? 
Who can, who can bring a charge against us? No one can. Why? Because Jesus died for my cross, uh, died on the cross for my sin. And that makes me right with God. But more than that, Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead. Do you realize that there is resurrection power abiding in you if indeed you have the Spirit of God residing within you? The resurrection power looks square in the face at every demonic horde that might come knocking your way and stand strong because the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead has already defeated the devil and all of his demonic horde. And we have that power within us so we don't have to shrink and cower in fear at supernatural forces that come crawling up around us and acting like these supernatural forces are so big and bad and powerful. Omen, the movie, was just that, a fictional piece of a movie. It wasn't real. God is greater than the devil every single time. And he's poured that power inside us. So why in the world would we fear these supernatural forces acting like they are all big, bad, and the worst thing in the world? Look, God's already defeated them by raising Jesus from the dead. So I just got to tell you, whether it's circumstances on this earth or whether it's supernatural forces in heaven, God has already said, Eric, I'm for you. And I, and I got to tell you, because Jesus is for us, he is greater than any of those boogeymen. We don't have to live in fear. But sometimes we fear anyway. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching up a good lather right now. This is my third time. I'm burning about 500 calories right now. But I leave this place. You know what happens? I still get fearful. I mean, the truth, I hold on to it. And I focus in on Jesus. And and man, that helps and that works and it does. But still, there are those moments, those, those deep alone moments. When the ghoul and the goblin and the ghost kind of attack and whether it's circumstances or 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 life situation or relationships or my own choices whatever it is man it just it racks me with fear and I don't really know what to do I'm trying to focus in on Jesus and I'm still I'm still trembling in my shoes and in my soul but Jesus knew you were going to have days like that Jesus knows that you're going to have days like that. See, not only did he die for our sin on a cross, not only was he raised again and ascended to the right hand of God so that he might give us a new life and pour his resurrection power within us by giving us the Spirit of God. But Paul says he's making intercession for you. Oh, I got good news for you. Jesus is intimately, personally, actively involved in your everyday circumstance. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're scared. He knows what's going on. And here's what Jesus commits himself to do. He says he's interceding. That means he's standing in the gap between the Father and me. And and he's saying, now, uh, Father, God, Father, I want you to know, Eric's getting ready to wake up. It's Monday morning. You know how bad Mondays are for Eric. And he's getting ready to wake up. And when he wakes up, he's going to start his day and, 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 and he's going to go down his path. But, but 
Father, I want you, I want you to see, and you know this, that, that today Eric's going to walk down his path and he's going to turn a corner. And as soon as he turns that corner, he's going to face that big bad boogeyman, that ghoulish goblin that he's afraid of. And as soon as he turns that corner, he's going to face that goblin. Now, now, Father, we need to help him. He's ours. He belongs to us. We need to help him. Spirit of God, you need to come down here and you need to, you need to prepare him. You need to navigate for him. You need to give him wisdom. And, 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 and we're going to work the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to invade Eric's space on a Monday morning because Jesus is my advocate. And he's interceding on my behalf. And it's in that moment that, 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 that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit are working for Eric Thomas on a Monday morning so that when I turn that corner and I face that ghoulish goblin that I'm scared of, that big bad wolf, that, that boogeyman that I don't want to see, when I face that, that, that fear in that moment, the Spirit of God is going to hit me with faith. And he's going to encourage me and he's going to strengthen me and he's going to remind me, Eric, we got you. Now today... The challenge is not for me to experience the movement of the Spirit of God that way. The challenge for me, see, Jesus is interceding. He's already moving on my behalf. The challenge is for me to come boldly before Jesus and say, thank you for your help. Let me receive it. It's, it's, for me to, it's for me to open my arms, open my hands, say, oh, yes, I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I'm going to stop wallowing in my own misery and, and, and trying to feel, feel like I'm going to navigate through this by, by being fearful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Jesus, yes, whatever you want to do, I'm ready. Let's face the boogeyman together, and I know you're going to win. See, we need to focus on Jesus in our fear-filled days. Because when it's all said and done, there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from God's love. There's nothing. There's nothing present. There's nothing future. There are no rulers or angels or powers. Not life, not death, not height, not depth, not any other created thing will ever, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's absolutely nothing that can keep us from his love. Now, what Paul does is he says, what then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, persecution, famine, hunger, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, all day long we are killed for your sake. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter you know what what is paul talking about there i mean that that doesn't sound too encouraging you know verse 35 and 36 it just doesn't sound very encouraging you know what paul's saying there he's saying you need to remember that the goal of the christian experience is not for you to take care of yourself nor is it to preserve yourself the goal of the christian experience is not for you to make sure that you're okay The goal of being a follower of Jesus is never, never self-preservation. You might say, well, wait a second, that doesn't make much sense. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, well, Christians, you make sure that you take care of yourself first. Doesn't say it. In fact, the very picture of Jesus and his love is one where he says, I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of everybody else. So much so that he would die 
for everybody else. The very model of the one whom we follow runs counter to this idea of I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to preserve myself. So what does it mean here where where what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Well, he's saying, listen, what we need to be about is pursuing with great purpose what God has in front of us. We need to chase after God's mission for our life. We need to chase after his purpose for our life, even if it means we're going to enter into tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Do you realize that as a follower of Jesus, we are not guaranteed a stress-free life with all rosy rose garden circumstances? What we are promised is the presence of Jesus and his love that will never leave us. And as a follower of Jesus, if that's not enough for you, then you need to flip the script in your soul. You need to start evaluating not from whatever you've been evaluating your life from. You need to start evaluating based upon what the Bible says and what Jesus shows. See, as a follower of Jesus, we're not called to make sure that I'm okay. As a follower of Jesus, we're called to make sure that God is glorified and pleased. So when we talk about nothing separating us from the love of Christ, he's talking about how Jesus is going to take care of us and lead us through the struggle. So when we face those places where people are trying to press us into the mold of their own making rather than following the mold of God's making, that's when Jesus, uh, his love gives us wisdom and direction. When, when we find ourselves in a tight place, a circumstance that, uh, uh, that, that we don't know how to navigate out of, we uh, find that Jesus and his love gives us the strength and the courage we need when we find ourselves facing the, the, the famine and the hunger and the, and the nakedness and, 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 and the poverty. When we face those physical uh, uh, struggles, in those moments we see that Jesus gives us the encouragement we need uh, to overwhelm them and, and, and the provision we need in the midst of them. When we face the, the, the peril or the sword and even martyrdom comes our way, it's in that moment that Jesus Jesus gives us courage not to run and hide, but to stand firm. See, here's what I have a problem with sometimes. As followers of Jesus, we have somehow in the American culture church, we have somehow decided that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to run toward the greatest comfort rather than run toward the will of God. See, here's here's the problem for us. What, What soldier in the armed forces... What soldier going to the battlefield would say, I'm not going to put my life on the line, but rather I'm going to go take care of me and make sure I'm safe. A soldier on the battlefield that does behavior like that many times will be court-martialed for cowardice. And yet, as a follower of Jesus, what we do is we try to elevate this idea of, well, you just take care of you and don't worry so much about what your orders are. And I'm afraid that many of us are guilty of that kind of cowardice. You see, Jesus says very clearly, I'll be with you. My love will see you through. But if you're going to follow me, you're going to have hard times. 
And you've got to be more, we've got to be more about what Jesus wants than what will make us safe and comfortable. So when the bad times come and we count ourselves as sheep for the slaughter, the good news for us is that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present nor things to come, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the thing. God calls us to immerse ourselves in his love and then to trust him to take care of us on our journey. And love is more than just a feeling. See, the rock group did get it right. Love is more than a feeling. It's it's action. And when God says that his love is surrounding us, it means just that. He is there to protect, to nourish, to nurture, to guard, to guide. So what do you do with all this? Well, there are so many applications. But as we come to the end of Romans chapter 8, I just want to give you three built along the love God, love others, live the mission. The first is love God, praise Him. I wonder why it is that so often when bad times hit, we are quick to talk our fear, but we're not so quick to talk about our faith. Instead of rehearsing the fears that we have, we must praise the Lord. You remember Psalm 56, read it a few moments ago. Uh, Psalm 56, when I cry out to you, then my enemies turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise your word. In the Lord, I will praise your word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, for us to live victoriously, we need to praise the Lord continuously. The more we praise God, the less room fear has to take root in our heart. Instead of getting on Facebook and telling everybody how afraid you are and how scary the enemy is, maybe it would be better to get on Facebook and talk about how great God is. How loving and awesome He is. Praise Him. So we love God by praising Him. We love others, and here's what it comes out. Be like Jesus when it comes to loving others. Don't be like your favorite political party. Be like Jesus. I, I, I know there's a lot of debates and everything, and I am so thankful for the freedoms we have in this nation. But guys, God called us to be Christians and followers of Jesus before he calls us to be Americans. And we must do a better job of being more like our king. And Jesus made it very clear how we're supposed to love people. 
you want to read about it, you can read Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Guys, I, 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 think, I think maybe it's more important for us to be obedient to Jesus and love the way he calls us to love than it is for us to try to make sure we're safe. And I know that's not popular with many, even in this room. But I just beg you, will you spend some time thinking about reading about what Jesus said we're supposed to do? I'm not saying we don't defend ourselves. I'm not saying we don't attack ISIS. I'm all about that. I'm not saying that we pretend like radical extremism is not a threat. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying when it comes down to it, we had better do better at loving people. We had better do better at being like Jesus. Do you realize Jesus loved the ones that killed him? I know it's not popular. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we better love the way he commands us to love and love the way he's shown us to love. And I know fear gets in the way of that, but that's no excuse, not for followers of Jesus. So let's love others the way Jesus loves. And the last thing is we got to live the mission. See, here's the thing. So often what keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, sharing the gospel with other people, is that we're afraid. But there's no reason for fear to have that kind of force in our life to keep us from fulfilling the mission that God has given us. We need to have courage. We need to be bold. We need to stand courageously. And as you leave this place and you go to the fellowship hall and you look at the booths and you see the men and women and the young people that are going into harm's way, literally placing their lives in danger to share the gospel with people, maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to do the same. Maybe not around the world, maybe just across the street. Maybe not to a different nation. Maybe just to a co-worker. But remember that we are more than conquerors. And I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come, I'm persuaded that there are no rulers or angels or powers I'm persuaded that neither depth nor height nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Father, right now, may we live victoriously trusting you to take care of us, living our lives for your fame and glory. And may we praise you. May we be like you, Jesus, in loving others. And may we have courage 
and sharing the gospel as we go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Go be victorious. God bless y'all. Good afternoon.